Well, Psalm number 52. And um, I want to give you sort of a historical setting. This is one of the rare psalms in which we have a direct um, time and historical sort of event taking place in the life of David. There are other psalms that have a context marker or an inscription in the beginning that tell us a little bit about the history of when the psalm was written. And uh, some of those are not written by David, but the vast majority of them are written by him. I want to draw your attention to the inscription that we have for us in the introduction. In my Bible, it says, To the choir master, a maskel of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. This psalm is a reflection written by King David about a very bitter moment in his life and in his ministry. You remember that in 1 Samuel 21, David is on the run from King Saul. And he comes to the village of Nod and he meets his dear friend Ahimelech. Ahimelech gives him some respite and some rest. You also probably remember that David actually lied to Ahimelech and said that he was on a secret mission or a secret errand from Saul when in fact Saul was actually out to kill David. And David comes seeking refuge from Ahimelech and the priests of Nob. David had no weapon. He had no food, and that immediately sort of was an eyebrow-raising thing for Ahimelech. He was like, well, this is unusual. David would be coming without his band of mighty men and with no weapon and with no food. And apparently there was a low point in the life of the village of Nod because uh, the priest had no food to give him. The only food they had was the bread of the presence or the showbread from the... Uh, offering that they made of bread to the Lord. And so the priest Ahimelech gives David a little bit of the show bread as a token of his love and appreciation for the future king. David also has no weapon, and so the only weapon that they have available to them is the sword of Goliath. And so Ahimelech provides David with both food and weaponry. There's a very solemn note found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 7, sort of sandwiched in between David's interactions with Ahimelech and the priests of Nod. I'll read it for you. It said, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doag the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. Fast forward into the 22nd chapter of 1 Samuel, we find King Saul assembling his officials and his military guard together. Saul was feeling sorry for himself because he heard that David was continually gathering supporters down in Judah. Also, uh, the revelation that Saul's own son Jonathan had made a covenant with David probably uh, aided in some of Saul's feelings of betrayal because his own son now had kind of become a turncoat against his father and was aiding David. 
in the middle of this sort of discussion that Saul is having with his followers and the people that are that work for him, his guard and his counselors, Saul basically says, now nobody has any information about where, where in the world David's at. Nobody can tell me anything and nobody would, even though there were probably people there that did know a little something about it. But then we're told that Saul's chief herdsman, Doeg the Edomite, was present and that Doeg sought an opportunity to gain favor with Saul by telling the king, now this is 1 Samuel 22, 9 and 10. Doeg said, I saw the son of Jesse. Notice that he won't call David by his real name. He said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, priest of Hetub at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And this information, this revelation, infuriated King Saul. And Saul then sends for Ahimelech and begins to accuse him of conspiracy and insurrection against the king of Israel. This is a very telling conversation. You can go check it out maybe later on in the day, but it's 1 Samuel 22 when Ahimelech stands before Saul. One of the things, he says very several very telling things to Saul, but one of the things that Ahimelech says to Saul is that there's no one <clears throat> in the kingdom of Israel that was more loyal to Saul than David. The fact that Saul was accusing Ahimelech of aiding David in some mutiny and conspiracy was completely foreign to Ahimelech. He had no idea what was going on between these two men at the time. You remember Saul had threatened to kill and attempted to kill David on several occasions by the time the narrative picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Now this is important because as Ahimelech stands before Saul, everything that Ahimelech tells Saul is 100% unadulterated truth. He says there's no one in the kingdom more loyal to Saul than David. And then he tells Saul that he had no idea that the men were quarreling with one another. What's important to note is that when Saul pressed upon Ahimelech for information about David, Ahimelech told him the truth. Then something very shocking happens, not really though, because by this time, uh, those of you who would have had been following the story of Saul and David would have known already that the moral character of Saul had deteriorated immensely. And Saul orders Ahimelech to be killed along with his entire family in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 16 uh, specifically. What's interesting is that when Saul turns to his military, to his guardsmen, and he orders the guards to kill Ahimelech, the guards refuse the order. They say, we're not going to do that. This man is God's servant. This was the chief priest at the time. And so when Saul could not get his first line of henchmen to perform his dirty deed, Saul then turns to Doag the Edomite and he orders Doag to kill Ahimelech. Doag takes up the sword 
And the Bible says in verses 18 and 19 of 1 Samuel 22, So Doag the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword of Nob, the town of the priest, <clears throat> with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. This exceedingly wicked man, Doeg, the Edomite, in a single day is going to slay 85 Jewish priests, their families, and their livestock. Evidently, David felt personally responsible for what happened. And he confessed his own part in the tragedy. Out of all the, the village of Nob, there was one person that was able to escape alive. And that was one of the sons of Ahimelech himself. And the son of Ahimelech comes to David seeking refuge in the cave of Adullam. And David tells Ahimelech's son in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 22... That day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would, he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. This is such a tragic story and a low ebb in the life of King David that you only have this occurring, this story, this narrative of the brutal murder of the priest of Nob, this is only mentioned on two occasions in the entire Bible. The first time is in the narrative in 1 Samuel 22, and the second time is in the 52nd Psalm of which we're studying this Lord's Day morning. The difference between the narrative in 1 Samuel 22 and Psalm 52 is this. 1 Samuel 22 and 22 records David's confession and feeling the guilt that he felt because, remember, David lied to Ahimelech when he came to the village. He told him he was on a secret mission from Saul. That was a lie. He was running from Saul. They were at war with one another, even though David didn't want to be. David lied, and ultimately the entire village of priests would be slayed because of what David said. 1 Samuel 22 is David's confession of feeling his own personal involvement in what happened. But Psalm 52 is David's reflection on just how wicked Doag the Edomite is and was. Let us come to understand David's reflections upon God's judgment against the evil Doeg so that we may rejoice in God's perfect justice ourselves. Let us come to understand David's reflections upon God's judgment against the evil Doeg so that we may rejoice in God's perfect justice our own selves. Here is a big chunk of the sermon, so listen closely. Sometimes we encounter people who have given themselves over to do evil against their fellow human beings so completely we cannot help but cry out to God for justice against them. There are people in the world, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, who have acted so heinously, so wickedly, 
so rottenly against their fellow man and woman that they no longer deserve to live. It's possible for someone to commit such atrocious and heinous crimes against humanity that the only verdict, the only judgment that God and the people of God can pronounce upon the head of such evil people is that of death, justice, and judgment. Now this is not a very popular message in our hypersensitive day. This is not a very popular message in the day of supposed social justice. But what this man Doag did to the priest of Nob, he murdered innocent and righteous people, and the Bible said that he deserved to die for what he did. I have three simple points this morning. Roman numeral number one, a portrait of evil Doag in verses one through four. A portrait of evil Doag. Roman numeral number two, the perfect justice of God, verses five through seven. Roman numeral number three, a polar opposite in David, verses 8 and 9. That's a portrait of evil Doag and verses 1 through 4. The perfect justice of God in verses 5 through 7. And a polar opposite in David in verses 8 and 9. I want you to notice something in verse 1. The very first line opens up. I like what David does here. <laughs> he says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. See, you have a contrast immediately when you enter the psalm. But the first line in the Hebrew Bible is given over to describing and to identifying the wickedness of Doag. This was a mighty man. I want you to stop and consider a moment. The fact that this man in one day was able to slay 85 grown men and their families and their livestock. This is a man of exceeding strength. David calls him mighty. And this is a man where his evil nature exceeded his physical strength. This is very curious that the very first line in the Hebrew Bible is given over to describing someone so evil. And you know, it works the same way in our culture today. Sometimes there are people who act so viciously, who do such rotten things that they steal the limelight, don't they? I mean, the headline, it contains their name. When I read this 52nd Psalm and I begin to reflect upon the context of it, the history of it. I saw in my mind's eye the latest uh, Fox News news briefing. Mass murderer Doeg kills innocently 85 men and their families. Sometimes people are so rotten, so evil, so wicked that they steal the limelight. But what David does is immediately he follows up and he says the steadfast love of God endures all the day long. 
We find a threefold description of the character of evil Doeg. A threefold description of evil Doeg's character. This is very telling. Number one, he was proud. Number two, he loved evil. And number three, he used words as weapons. Look at it in verse one. Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? This is the idea of pride. This is not necessarily someone who makes extravagant claims about how great they are. But this man was plotting and he viewed himself as superior to others. This, some, something of this comes out in the story. I like what the great Bible commentator, Mr. Derek Kidner, writes. He says, quote, The real point is the man's self-satisfaction. He thinks himself clever. He is absorbed in his own intrigues. End quote. We see something of this in the story, don't we? Doag did not simply blurt out what he saw David doing when he, David came to the priest of Nob, Ahimelech, and sought refuge and food and weaponry. He didn't just sort of, it wasn't just a random thing. Oh, by the way, Saul, I saw David coming. No. He waited for the opportune time. Doag knew that he had a very vital piece of intelligence, of information. And instead of disclosing that in a sort of general way, Doag waits until the opportune time when none of Saul's other advisors could or would disclose vital information about where David was. Doag pipes up and he gives what he knows at the right time. And the reason he does this is because he boasts in his evil. He's waiting for the right moment like a viper curled up underneath a rock waiting for its next victim to come strutting by, unknowing. He seeks to exalt himself. He views himself as self-superior to others. What Doeg wanted was to exalt himself in the eyes of King Saul. He's looking for position and prestige. He's boasting of his evil. Secondly, he loved evil in verse 3. Look at this. You love evil more than good. What a, a chilling indictment. Loved evil more than good. The fact that Doag told Saul about David coming to Ahimelech was not necessarily evil in and of itself. But the fact that Doag telling Saul would result in this Edomite murdering 85 Egyptian or uh, Israelite priests and their families is, in fact, loving evil. And the contrast in this psalm is the innocence and the righteousness of Ahimelech, the truthfulness and the lies, boastful deceptions, the loving evil more than good of evil Doeg. This man, Doeg, was a foreigner, an outsider of the nation of Israel. The Bible calls him an Edomite. And he hated everything that the priests of Nob stood for. This was not just an attack upon and an opportunity to exalt himself in the eyes of Saul. This was an attack upon the Lord's servants and ultimately upon the Lord himself. And fourthly, finally, 
He used his words as weapons in verse 4. He said, you love all words that devour a deceitful tongue. I like what one commentator said. He said, quote, the wicked person is an artist of deceit. An artist of deceit. Ultimately, it was Doag's weaponized words that would cause this man to take up weapons and slay the innocent of Nob. Then the psalm takes a very wonderful turn, beginning in verses 5 through 7. The spotlight begins to shine now on what God's going to do about evil Doag. I have two subpoints underneath this. What God will do to Doag in judgment in verse 5. And what God's people will do when they witness God's judgment of Doag in verses 6 and 7. So what God will do to this evil man. And then what is to be the response of God's people to what God does to this very wicked individual. Sometimes in our lives... And you and I are very much the same because we're human beings. You kind of get this impression, I think you can join me in saying this, that uh, evil people prosper. It seems almost like the more evil they are, the more prosperous they are. It seems like, you know, the long arm of God's law and justice has been somehow shortened to reach the, and, and execute the judgment that God needs to execute. Well, what verses 5 through 7 of Psalm 52 remind us is, is that God's long arm of the law is never shortened. And God is always going to bring justice every time, one way or another. What God will do to Doag in judgment in verse 5, God's judgment against this evil man is described by four verbs in verse 5. This is a very powerful portion of the psalm. This is the longest line. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Whoa. Four verbs that describe what God will do to Doeg because of what Doeg has done to the priest of Nob. The first one, he says, in verse 5, God will break you down forever. This has the idea of dismantling, tearing down a piece of architecture, a building. He's going to be demolished, David said. This second one, notice in verse 5, he said he will break you down. Then he said he will snatch and tear you from your tent. This has the idea of... You know, my wife and I, when we're planting our garden or tending to our uh, little flowers and so forth, uh, we're always trying to get the weed down by the root. Because if you don't get the root, you know, that weed's going to come back. And David said, Lord, when you tear this man out and you uproot him, Lord, get him by the roots. As far down as you can get, this plant, this evil tree... Of Doeg, snatching from the ground, tear him up by his roots. Also notice the phrase, tear you from your tent. 
It has the idea of removing this man from the community of Israel, getting him out of the land. And then fourthly and finally, this uproot has the idea of throwing him out, casting him aside. Verse 5, he said, he will uproot you from the land of the living. Tearing from his tent, tearing down. Folks, when was the last time we ever prayed like this? When we saw a mass murderer convicted, uh, you know, uh, on, in trial, found guilty, and all the jurors agreed that this individual has committed a heinous act against his fellow human being. When was the last time that we prayed, oh God, break them down, snatch them up, tear them away, and uproot them forever from the land? Eighty-five men and their families were butchered and slaughtered by one man, plus their livestock. As complete as Doag's evil was, God's justice and judgment against this man equals it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And perhaps most shockingly, in, in, in a day of self-righteousness and, and uh, over-dignified as we are very often in our view of these kind of things, notice what the reaction of God's people is to be in verses 6 and 7. Look at this. The righteous shall see and fear... And shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction? Look at what is to be the reaction of the people of God. What Doag done was cool, it was calculated, it was premeditated. He had selfish motives, he had selfish ambitions. And he murdered and slaughtered innocent people. And the Bible said that he deserved to die. Wow. I don't know if you're up on the latest discussions of capital punishment or not. But the impression that you get is there's more concern for the perpetrator than there is the victim. There's more concern for uh, those who are incarcerated than those who are the victims of those who are incarcerated. And yes, I understand that there are very often cases where people are wrongfully convicted, but that's not what you have happening in this passage. This man was guilty as charged. he done exactly what the Bible says that he did. And the Bible said that the people of God should see and fear. This should be something that God's justice and God's judgment being poured out on evil human beings like Doag. We should see that. We should fear it. And we should rejoice that God's justice has been served. When God tears them down, when God uproots them, when God wipes them clean from the land forever, we should be satisfied. We will stand in awe of the mighty justice of our God. 
This laughing, let me explain this. This does not mean that they will have a selfish delight in Doag's destruction. That's not what we're about, folks. We're not to be sitting back going, ha ha, look at, you know, look at this evil man. You know, it's sort of, remember, folks, the only thing keeping you from being Doag is the grace of God. And that's the truth. What does it mean that the people of God will laugh at God's justice? The idea here, I think, is that God's people will be completely satisfied with the rightness of God when God intervenes to give justice and judgment to those who do great harm to others. It's kind of like forensic files. You know, when the DNA evidence comes out 35 years later and the guy thought he or the gal thought they were going to get away scot-free, and all these decades later, finally the cuffs are slapped on this person and they're hauled off, and justice is served. Don't you get that feeling like, yeah, I'm glad they got that guy. I know I do. I know that if it was your mother, your grandmother, your father that had been brutally butchered and murdered by some heathen, by some wicked doag, you would be more than glad to see the long arm of the law catch and straighten out and execute justice against this person. That's exactly what David felt like, and that's exactly what Israel felt like the day that Doag was brought to justice. This is not a self-righteous sort of rejoicing in someone's you know, demise. This is a satisfaction that justice has been served. The bad guy has been caught. He's going to be tried, he's going to be found guilty according to the laws of the land, and he will be punished, executed. Yes. <laughs> eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, says the law of God. A polar opposite in David. The psalm ends on a positive note, believe it or not. So let's explore that a little bit. Verses 8 and 9, he said, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. I do not detect any sort of self-righteousness in David when he sees Doeg getting uh, you know, the justice that he deserves. Uh, David is contrasting himself because he, David fears God. David loves God. David is living his life for God. And you have this very striking, I don't know if you picked it up or not. Really, it's sort of the crux of the psalm. It's sort of the heart and soul of Psalm 52. And I want to show it to you. This is the beauty. You know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar or anything like that. I don't ever claim to be. I just know what I know. I want to show you the power of the Bible and what the Bible's doing here. Notice with me, we already looked at verse 5, and specifically where David says that God will uproot Doag from the land of the living. Now contrast this uprooting, this grabbing a tree or a plant by its roots and pulling it out of the ground and getting it out forever. 
Now contrast that with what you read in verse 8. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Did you know that olive trees are perhaps the longest, some of the longest living trees on planet earth? There are olive trees in the Mediterranean that have been dated up to 3,500 years old. 3,500 years old. And the contrast that David is making, I actually read that there is an olive tree in Portugal that's 3,200 years old that produces 60 pounds of olives every year. It's this ancient, it's this old, and it still bears fruit. And the striking contrast between what David is saying about himself, because he loves, because he fears God, because he wants to see God's justice executed. David says, I am like an olive tree planted in God's house, while Doag is like an uprooted tree. Weed cast aside. The olive tree grows and grows and grows, and very often an olive tree 1,000, 2,000 years old will still be producing great fruit every year. I want to close on this note. I'll quote Dr. Boyce at length. He said, assuming the prophecy of Doag's eventual end to have been fulfilled, the ways of David and Doag illustrate that teaching. Do you and I believe that? Do we believe that God is really in control of this world and that evil will be judged and righteousness will be rewarded in the end, even if not openly in every case right now? If we do, then the last verse of Psalm 52 describes what we will do and be like. In it, David does three things. I want you to notice this, church. David praises God in verse 8. What does David praise God for? David praises God for his justice against wicked Doag. But secondly, David trusts God for the future. He said in verse 8, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. It's not that he's just trusting God for God's justice and judgment to be made uh, manifest now, but for God's justice and judgment to be made manifest in the future and on into forever. Thirdly, he bears witness of these truths before others. Verse 9, he said, I will praise you in the presence of your saints. Wow. This is David's response to what he witnessed with Doag and the murder of the priest of Nob. David praises God for God's justice. David trusts God for God's justice to be executed now and in eternity. And then David turns and tells others about God's perfect justice. Is that what we're like? Is that what we do? It's interesting, isn't it? As I sense that in a day of hypersensitivity, in an age where it seems like we are more concerned about the perpetrator than we are the victim, do we rejoice in God's justice when it's executed on those who do not, who harm their fellow human being? 
The Bible always has been and always will be controversial. Because in one breath, Jesus says, love your enemies. And in the next breath, Psalm 52 and verse 5, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. God is a God of justice. God is a God of judgment. And his justice and his judgment are perfect now and forever. Spurgeon said, quote, Before or among the saints David intended to wait, feeling it good to be both for him and them to look to the Lord alone and wait for the manifestation of his character in due season. Men must not too much fluster us. Our strength is to sit still. Let the mighty ones boast. We will wait on the Lord. And if their haste brings them present honor, our patience will have its turn by and by and bring us the honor which excelleth. Let's pray. Our Father, though, reality is is that all of us deserve the same judgment and justice as Doeg. But Lord, instead of pouring out your righteous indignation and fury on us because of our sin, you turned and poured it out on Christ, who died in our place. Lord, let us not be self-righteous in our cries to you for judgment and justice. But Lord, let us rejoice in knowing that the judge of all the earth will do right. And this psalm really, Lord, is polemical for us because of the day and age in which we live. A day and age of hypersensitivity, of self-righteousness, of social injustice and justice. Lord, I pray that your people would have a balanced and completed view of who you are and what you have done and are doing here in the planet called Earth. Lord, if there any, be anyone here this morning, Father, that has not met you in spirit and in truth and seen themselves as guilty sinners, death-deserving sinners before a holy God, Father, I ask and pray that you would awaken them to their need. That today would be the day of salvation before it's everlasting too late. You would call your people to yourself. Convict them of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. That they may see Christ who suffered in their place. That we may have peace with God. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word and the things that it tells us that are encouraging. And I also thank you for your word in the things that it tells us that are convicting. Let us not dull the knife blade of your word, O oh Lord. We need the scalpel of the great physician to be sharp, to be true. And to do that open heart surgery that all of us need so desperately. Thank you now, Lord, for the revelation of your truth and of yourself. 
and that you truly are at work in the world executing justice and judgment against those who seek to brutally harm their fellow human being. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.